Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning. I am Dave, and uh, I am one of the pastors here. And this is kind of weird being down here. It's like uh, I can reach out and touch you. It's kind of a new experience. Um, this morning, I'm excited because I believe that God has something for each one of us. I do not believe that you're here by chance or coincidence. And the reason I know that is because God doesn't work that way. All right? He has you here for a reason. He wants to say something to you. And so my prayer is this, is that nothing would get in the way of that. Whatever happened this week, whatever's happening now, or even me. Because I really want all of us, including myself, to hear from God. Sound good? Let's begin with a word of prayer. I'll start off on the right foot, and then we'll dive into this this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you love us and that your love for us is never-ending. And this morning, we have sung praises to you because you rightfully deserve it. But right now, we're going to open your word. And every time we open your word, you speak to us. We all believe that. And so this morning, we pray that you would speak to us where we are at. Lord, I pray that we would have the ears to hear whatever you have to say to us. And not just the ears to hear, but the courage to live out what you're going to challenge us with this morning. Lord, I pray that you remove all the distractions get me out of the way. Because you are the potter and I am the clay. And I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to share something with you this morning. and It's not going to surprise you, especially if you know me. Okay, But I am a huge Disney fan. I am. I cry at all the movies. Don't laugh. I do. I am. And uh, I love everything about Disney. I've been to Disney World a few times. In fact, I am so much a Disney fan that there have been times where my kids have been embarrassed by me. We have gone to Walt Disney World and I am like a little kid in a candy shop and my kids say, Dad, you just got to grow up. And I'm like, never! I love it, right? Now, here's the thing. One of my favorite Disney movies is Peter Pan. Anyone like Peter Pan? Come on, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie, right? And the reason I love it so much, I remember as a kid watching it on TV on the wonderful world of Disney. Remember that show? It was on Saturday nights. And I remember what I would do is this, is we would gather as a family, and I remember watching that show in particular. And it just brings a lot, back a lot of great memories. And this morning, what I've done is this, is I have actually brought with me an actual copy of Peter Pan. Now, this is a great story. It is. It's full of adventure and action. On one side, you have Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and Wendy and Michael and John and the Lost Boys. On the other side, you have Captain Hook and Mr. Smee, and you have all the pirates. But here's what I want you to get. As great as this story is, it is not real. In fact, what do we call this? It is fiction or it is a a fairy tale. It's an amazing story that is simply made up. Now you're thinking, Dave, where are you going with this? I have a point, okay? Here it is. What blows me away is this, is how many people equate this with this. You see, there's a lot of people out there today who believe that the Bible is a collection of a lot of cool stories the battle between good and evil. But as great as these stories are, they simply believe that the Bible is a collection of fairy tales. 
Something made up by some very creative people. But here's the thing I want to tell you. It doesn't stop there because some people believe the Bible is like a dictionary. Really boring, right? Have you ever tried to read the, the dictionary from front to back? Ever tried that? I did. Uh, I was a little kid. I was like, I'm going to try. Why, why do I want to try? Do you know how far I got? I got into a few pages. A, I never made it to B because I was like, this is so boring. But sometimes we, we look at the Bible that way because what we do is this. We begin to read Genesis and Exodus. We get to Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We just check out, right? Another thing is this, is some people see the Bible as an ancient book. It's got some cool ideas, but it is old and it's outdated and it doesn't really relate to today. And finally, I've heard this, that some people see the Bible as a textbook. It's a bunch of rules to follow and as long as you do the work, God will be good with you. And here's the thing I want you to get this morning. If you see the Bible one of those ways, listen to me, you will struggle reading it. You will. Now, what if, what if the Bible is more than that? What if we're missing something? What if the Bible can actually change our life in a positive way? This morning, that's what I want to talk about. And that's what I want to challenge us with. So I want to begin this morning by reading something from Jesus' life. And this happened really early in his ministry, right after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. What happens is this, is Jesus goes out into the desert to pray and to fast. And while he is out there, he is tempted by Satan himself. And so if you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't, it'll be on the screen, but I really want you to see this for yourself. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Let me read it for you. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I actually saw this point. It was pretty high. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So get this, Jesus is in the wilderness, he is praying and fasting, and he is physically weak. He's physically weak. Now get this, Satan himself shows up. Let me tell you something, when you get tempted, it's not Satan tempting you, it's one of his demons, because Satan isn't omnipresent like God. But Satan says, I'm going to show up to tempt Jesus. And now, what we see from this passage is we see how important the word of God was to Jesus. Because in that moment of temptation, listen to me, it was crucial 
for his survival. Why? Because Jesus saw this differently than some of us do this morning. He believed that the word of God made his life better. You see, he believed the word of God was life-giving. I think it's interesting, Satan tries to tempt him by saying, hey, turn these stones into bread. But listen to what Jesus says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What what Jesus is basically saying here is this, is that the word of God is actually better than food. Now, from a guy who has been fasting for over a month, when he is so hungry, to say something like that, that means something. You see, Jesus understood this. Without food, we would starve physically. But he also knew this. Without God's word, we would starve spiritually. And here's the thing that scares me the most as a pastor, is in the church today, there are many Christians who are starving. And here's what, this is why I know that, is because here's the thing, is when we, when, when uh, let me sit a little Oh yeah, when we don't sense God's uh, presence in our lives, it's usually because we don't see the importance of God's word in our lives. And a lot of us don't sense God's presence because we're not in the world. Because here's the thing, is we don't really understand the life that the word of God can actually give us. And so the first thing Jesus says is this, is that he understood that the word of God was life-giving. The second thing he realized was this, is that the word of God was alive for him. Listen to what uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. This is this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Get this, the Bible is, like an, like, is unlike any book you have ever read. Because it's actually alive. Get this. God speaks to us through this. That's why you can read a passage a hundred times. And the hundred and first time, you can see something different. You know, since I prepared this sermon, I was practicing on Friday. And I went actually to prepare a talk for uh, Northern, one of our high schools. And I read a passage that I had read a hundred times. The parable of the sheep. And when I read it, God showed me something I had never, ever seen before. Do you know why? Because the word of God is alive. It's not like any other book that we've ever read. That's why when at certain times God brings passages and verses to our mind that relate to the things we're going through. Why? Because it's alive. And so what I want you to get as well, it also helps us to decipher between God's truths and Satan's lies. In this story, Satan tries to deceive Jesus, but he can't. Do you know why? Because he knows God's word. And because he knows God's word, he is able to identify the lies from the truth. Now, here's the problem. If we're being honest this morning, a lot of us don't know God's word that well. And when you hear it, it's painful because you know it's true. And that is why we fall for Satan's lies all the time. 
Because listen to me, if you don't know the truth, lies will never be exposed. And so Jesus, the reason why the word of God was so important to him was because it was life-giving. It was alive. This is the last thing I want to show you. Is for Jesus, the word of God was protective. Do you notice in that story, every time Jesus, Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, what did he do? He quoted God. Now, if anyone could have gone toe-to-toe with Satan and out-debated him, it would have been Jesus, right? He's the son of God. But he doesn't because Jesus found his protection in the word of God. Now, what does Satan eventually do? What did he do? He fled. And we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, listen to this. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and what? And he will flee from you. So here's the big question. How do we humble ourselves before God? Let me tell you. You read this, and you obey it. Because when you read this and you obey it, what you're saying is this, is God, you know best. The big reason we don't read this is because somehow in our minds, we are thinking that we know what's best. Let me give you a newsflash. We don't. When you don't obey this, you go down paths that you do not want to go down. And Satan knows that because he'll fill your head with lies. Listen to this. When we read the Bible, we humble ourselves before God. When we humble ourselves before God, then we can resist the devil. When we resist the devil, he will flee from us. He has no other option. In fact, that's exactly what we see here. Jesus humbled himself by obeying God's word. And because he obeyed God's word, he was able to resist the devil, and eventually the devil fled. And so here's the big idea I want you to get this morning. This is what you walk away with. This is good. The Bible can make your life better. You see, Jesus knew that not only because he knew the word of God, but because he was an author, he is the author of it. Because remember, Jesus was there from the beginning. He was part of everything. And the Bible isn't supposed to be a burden that is a pain to read. It's not meant to be impossible to understand. In fact, understand this. It was given to us as a blessing. It is meant to make us wise in our choices and to make us smarter in our decisions. It was intended, get this, to bring joy and life to our hearts. And it was intended to restore us when life gets tough. That's what God intended. And let me tell you something. When we read this passage... That's what Jesus experienced. And so here's the million dollar question. This is where the rubber meets the road. How do we experience the word of God in our lives that way? How do we experience it the way that Jesus experienced it? Because Satan showed up and, Satan, and Jesus just ran to God's word. And Satan, Satan had to flee. So how do we do that in our lives? This morning, I want to give you three things real quick. 
And again, if you can write these things down, you probably don't write these things down because you're going to use these things, I can guarantee you. If you want God's word to be alive to you, the first thing we have to do is this, is we've got to own it. Got to own it. Let me ask you something. What does it mean when you own something? Okay? It means that it's yours. Why? Because you've made an investment. It costs you. There's a sacrifice. Let me tell you something. You will never own this if the only thing you do with it is have someone read it to you on Sunday morning. And I know when I say that it's a painful thing, but it's true. If the only time this is ever read to you is Sunday morning and you don't ever crack it yourself, there's no way you're going to own it. And the reason why is because, let's face it, let's just be honest, there's no investment. Right? It doesn't cost you anything. You know, one of the scary statistics that I have read as a youth pastor, and the reason I am still in youth ministry after 28 years, in fact, I think this week I'll be here for, I've been here for 11 years. It's crazy. But the reason I'm in youth ministry is because I read the statistic about 15, maybe even 20 years ago, and it said this. 70 to 80% of teenagers who grew up in the church, our kids, will walk away from their faith when they go off to college and university. It's true. And the reason why is because they never own it. You see, the Bible was something that was read to them. Uh, they saw it as something made up or boring or outdated or just a bunch of rules, so it's so strict. And what breaks my heart is this, is they've missed the blessing because they never experienced God's word the way it was intended to be experienced. But get this, our youth are not alone because unfortunately sometimes they don't see it in their parents now I'm going to tell you I'm going to talk as a dad now not as a pastor you cannot expect your kids to own the word of God if you don't do it yourself because if you tell them to do that and you don't do it you are a hypocrite And the one thing that I have noticed about teenagers is this, is they can smell hypocrisy a mile away. And so the thing is, is we have to own the Word of God. It's got to be real to us. You know, it's interesting. To own this, it means you have to spend time in it. You have to carve out time. It's interesting. I'll carve out time to watch Netflix. Just being honest with you. This is far more important. In fact, I've told you this before, that I think that the two toughest things we do is pray and get in God's word. And the reason why is because this changes our life. And let me tell you something. Satan knows how powerful God's word is. Even better than you. And that is why he will do everything and anything to convince you that you are too busy or too distracted to get into this. Because he knows the moment you open this and apply it to your life, then he's in trouble. 
and he will, lose, he will lose control in your lives. And let me tell you something, he doesn't want to do that. Because he knows if you use the word of God, what does he have to do? What does James 4, 7 says? He's got to flee. He doesn't mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you singing songs. But he knows when you begin to pray on your own and you begin to get into this, he loses control and that scares him. And that is why he will do everything in his power to make sure you don't own this. Jesus understood the importance of owning the word of God, making it a part of you. So when Jesus was tempted, he automatically went to God's word. He didn't have to go, oh, what was that verse again? Because it was a part of him. So the first thing, if we want to make the word of God real to us, is we have to own it. The second thing I would say is this, is we've got to live it. Now, I'm going to be, make a confession this morning. Uh, there have been times where people will say things to me, and it's gone in one ear and out the other. Okay, anyone ever do that? Am I alone? Okay, uh, it's me, it's me, okay? And here's the thing, it, it, if I'm being honest, it happens a lot with my wife. And um, it never ends well with me, it never does. I'm always, into, but my wife will tell me something and she'll say, you know, can you do this for me? And I'm like, yeah, okay, one ear out the other. I don't do anything with it, I never act on it. And all I can say is this, it is always a recipe for disaster. Right? See a lot of husbands nodding their heads? You know my pain, right? Here's what I want us to get this morning. We can do that all the time with God's word. We can hear it. We can read it. But we never do anything with it. I know for a fact this morning, some of you will come and you'll leave and not do anything with it. We don't put it into action. We don't actually live it out. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says about that because he actually talks about that to a bunch of Christians. These are not non-believers. These are Christians. In Matthew chapter 7, the verse is going to be up there. It says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the, the streams rose, and the, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now we stop there and go, oh, amen, that's great. But understand this, Jesus doesn't stop there because he knows there are those who are putting into practice who are Christians, and he knows that there are those who aren't putting into practice, so he continues. He says, but, you always hate it when Jesus says but, right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is not wise, he is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. What Jesus is saying here is simply this. It is not enough to hear God's word and to believe it. That's important. But we have to live it out. Because this is what I've noticed, being a Christian for, I don't know how many years now. What I've noticed is this, is when we live it out, that is when we experience God. And that's when we know that his promises are true. You know, being in youth ministry, I talk to students all the time, and I say, listen, they're like, oh, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. I said, do you actually read this and live it out? Oh, no, 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 no. I say, you know what? You got to live this, you got to read this, and you got to own this, and you got to live it out. And I've had students come back to me and say, whoa, 
Do you know what happened, Pastor Dave, when I did this? Yeah, you experienced God. How did you know? Because that's what happens. You see, when you begin to experience God in your life because you live out his word, then he becomes real to you. Let's face it. If your relationship with God is not real, if you've never experienced him, then I don't know how you keep going. Because for me personally, the reason I will never walk away from my faith, even though there's things I don't understand, is because I can't argue with the times I've experienced God. You see, for me, my relationship with God isn't a relationship. It's a personal relationship. It's the difference. I can have a relationship with someone, and I can have a personal relationship with someone. And when we experience God, what happens is this, is it makes it personal. But you will never experience that unless you own it and unless you actually live it out. One more thing, and I'll be done. So, we've got to own it. We've got to live it. And the last thing I would say to you is this, is we have to share it. You know, we live in a hopeless world. But the exciting thing is this. In the midst of the darkness, God has given us a glimmer of hope. And the Bible is the story of that hope. A hope that is driven by God's deep love for us as he willingly allowed his one and only son to die in our place for our sin. But this is where the hope shines though because even though they buried and placed Jesus in a grave, the grave couldn't hold him and on the third day the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the dead and in doing that, what he did is he conquered sin and death once and for all. And he restored that relationship with him. And so the hope that we find in this book that is life-giving and alive and protective is the hope that we need to share. Now get this. We don't share it by shoving it down someone's throat. We don't. We don't share it by staying in a street corner and yelling at people. I'm sorry, we don't. Jesus never did that. In fact, I love what Peter says. In 1 Peter 3.15, he says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In fact, some versions say this, the hope that they see in you. And so what Peter reminds us of is this, is that hope that we find in God's word is not only shared by what we say, but more importantly, by how we live. You see, when you live out God's word, it gives us hope. Hope that people around us can see. Because like I said, we live in a very hopeless world. People are looking for real hope, and God gives us that hope. And here's the thing I've noticed in my life personally is there have been many times where I've just lived out what I've learned in God's word. I've had neighbors come to me and say, what's so different about you? Or I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, you're a what? You don't seem like a pastor. I'm like, I know, thank you. I never start off with that because that always makes the conversation go downhill. But they're always like, wow, what is so different about you? And see, what they do is they open the door for me to share. I'm not shoving anything down their throat because they've asked me. But what this passage tells me is this, is when I'm asked, I better be prepared to share. 
I'm going to tell you something. That takes courage. But that's what God's calling us to do. Sharing our faith, I don't think, is a hard thing. We've made it a hard thing. But when someone asks you, yeah, why don't you tell them why your life is great? Why, even though the toughest times, you still have hope? Because Jesus has changed your life. But get this, listen to me. You won't share it unless you live it. And you won't live it unless you own it. So, Jesus demonstrates for us that the Bible is more than just a book. It is life-giving, alive, and protective. And the big idea I gave you this morning was this, that the Bible can make your life better. Do you believe that? Okay, I'm not really convinced. Okay, do you believe that? Yeah. And here's the thing. If we do, then we have to own this. Making these truths our own. Memorizing it. Making it a part of us. But we also have to live it. Putting these truths into practice. And when we do, I'm telling you, you'll be blown away. Because you'll be like, wow. You know, one of the things that I've learned this year, I'm just going to be honest with you, because if, if I'm not real, then why am I up here? You know, one thing I struggle with is my money. I do. And giving it away. Especially the church. I'm being real. And God said to me, you know what? I want you to increase your giving. What? He's like, yeah. Do you trust me? Because the word of God says this, that I will provide all of your needs. And so this year I did. And I'll tell you something. I am so glad because I'll tell you why. I experienced God in a way that I would have never experienced it. But here's the thing is when I say, okay, this is what God says. I trust you enough to step out. And it was scary to step out. Then God showed up. That's what it means to live it. And when you live it, you're going to experience God in a way that you've never experienced him before. And the last thing we have to do is this, is we have to share it. Having the courage to share these truths when people see the hope in you and they ask you about it. Here's the thing. This is God's love letter to us. It's not a fairy tale. It's not the dictionary. It's not an ancient book. It's not a textbook full of rules. This is a story of God's love for us. He created us in his image. We thought we knew it was best. We rebelled. But God loved us so much, he says, you know what, I'm going to ultimately, I'm going to give the ultimate sacrifice I possibly could give. I'm going to give my son. So that this relationship is restored. Why? Because I love you. And here's the thing, is I'm going to give you a guidebook for life. So if you follow this, you will experience the kind of life that I long for you to have. But if you're going to experience it, you've got to own this. You've got to live it, and you've got to share it. My challenge to all of us this morning is this, is let's begin to see the Word of God the way God intended it for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. 
to restore that relationship with you. And Lord, I know that one of the toughest things we do is spend time in your word. But Lord, I pray that we would realize the reason we're so distracted, the reason we're so busy is because Satan knows how powerful that is. And he will do everything and anything he can to distract us. Lord, I pray this week that we would take small steps, even if just reading one verse a week or one verse a day. Lord, I pray that as we read that, that it would come alive to us that we would experience you in ways that we've never experienced you before. Because, Lord, I know you have great things in store for each one of us. Why? Because you love us so much. But, Lord, may we make our time with you a priority. Because, when we know, because I know when we do that, you will do amazing things in and through us. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for loving us first because we so love you. And we pray. Amen.